First light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he starts pounding and hollering and screaming, and sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then, oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red and in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in. They, Rip you to pieces. Yes! And welcome to the inaugural episode of the 2014 Spooky Flicks. Fast, 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 fast. Hold on. Okay, sorry. I am here. With the one, the only, the incomparable, the man who never, and I mean never, ever, needs a bigger boat, Jason. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. That's all I got to say. So. Well, I think that's the end of the episode. That's really <laughs> all that can be said. <laughs> Hello, my friend. How are you? Oh, I am very, very excited to be here. Spooky Flicks Fest once again. Do you realize this is our fourth celebration of the greatest month of the year. You know what's fascinating? Fourth. I was trying to remember without, you know, because it's not like I have a website that I could go and just do a simple search on blog posts or something to see the titles. I don't think it's possible to go on the, uh, uh, what do the kids call it? On it, the interwebs? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, I think it's called the World Wide Web. <laughs> www. Did you use Gopher? Did you search with Gopher? Dogpile. It was Dogpile. <laughs> Ask Jeeves, I think was the other one I was using. And... I honestly cannot remember what our specific Halloween movie was last year. Because it wasn't Halloween. Last was, it, was it last year Halloween or was it the year before that? <sighs> See what I'm saying? Night of the Living Dead was the first year. together. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, so we had, we had Night of the Living Dead double feature, right? Oh, no, no. Last year was, I'm not looking, I swear to God. Last year was The Exorcist Part 2. Three. Wasn't that three? I mean, three, yeah, not to suck. Because two yeah, would have, two would have been, we would have been just crying. That the made whole time. you mad. No, that yeah. made you mad. No, uh, three. I think that was our, um, was it really? Final episode last year was, was Exorcist. Okay. Which I love that movie, but for some reason, that like looking back, I'm like, really? That was our, our Halloween movie? Last year we did Exorcist three, uh-huh. Phantasm, mm-hmm. Trick or Treat. Uh, Trick or Treat. We did Fun House. And Parents? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. 
parents because okay. we had that really deep discussion about how it was all in the kid's head. Yeah, and, yeah. Actually, that was, that was a good uh, one. That was a good one. That well, was a very good one. So, but yes, but I think the final episode was The Exorcist uh, Part 3. Okay. Because we were going to do The Exorcist 1, but then, you know, have we, co- we haven't covered that one before, have we? No, uh, no, we didn't. I think our reasoning at the time because more forgotten. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, because yeah. you know, like like uh, tonight's yeah. movie, really, like like the one we're doing now. <laughs> well, you know, like Gremlins or Superman or Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those forgotten flicks. It would been so much simpler if I just called it the friggin' retro movie podcast. For love of God, <laughs> it's so much, Mister. I gotta be alliterative. Oh, what an ass. Anyway, so it must have been the year before that. Huh? Halloween, because I know yes. we covered Halloween. That we, yeah, we did that. I think actually we've done every hollow quote unquote Halloween episode, meaning it, the one that comes around around that date, has been with Daryl, right? Because Daryl did the Halloween episode with us. And, I think yeah, and the Night Living Dead, and I think he did the Exorcist three one with us too. I don't remember. I, he probably did. Okay. Yeah, the first year, uh, I think I think that's still my favorite because we did the double feature of Night of the Living yeah, Dead. Yeah, that was from, a good one. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was it? Nineteen. 19- what was the original? Oh, 68. right? Yeah. And then 1990. Uh, and then the 1980s remake, yeah. Yeah. 1990? Was it really? Yeah, I think it was 90. Yeah, I was like, right. There. It's like, Look, look, look. We both know. The 80s bled into the 90s. That, or, yeah. Like, I would say, I would say late 80s is still culturally relative into, like, 91, 92, maybe even tweaking yeah. into 93 yeah. a bit. And then around mid-94, 95 and beyond, it starts to change and- oh it's that's why our zone for these 80s movies is really the late 70s early 90s so yeah uh, but that was one of my favorite and i think part of it was just because of the, the quality of the movies and yeah uh you know we're talking about the original uh zombie um portrayal that really kind of carried on to the to the uh what's the phenomenon now especially with like sure. walking dead Sure, and, like I, and I also remember how pleasantly surprised, because I hadn't seen the remake in decades and i remember how pleasantly surprised it was at how much i enjoyed it yeah, yeah. And this and and I, I wanted to say something else since this is the inaugural episode of our final Spooky Flicks Fest of all time, uh, at least for now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, the one thing I wanted to say is is as we're kicking this off, I love this time of year for a lot of reasons. As a kid, I was never a, a huge uh, horror movie fan. You know, we talked about this. I've mm-hmm. seen the classics. I've seen a lot of the big ones, um, and I like the cheesy movies. So I've seen some of those, but I was never like a horror movie aficionado. And I know there are a lot of our listeners who are. I know you were as a kid, especially. Um, but it's, it always, I love this time of year because I start watching some of these movies, the ones we're going to cover. And, and you know, we, we always watch a couple others, even though we don't do episodes about them. And I'm always pleasantly surprised at how great they are. Mm-hmm. Um, especially some of the ones we've covered. We like, talked about like trick like, or treat. <laughs> no, that one sucked. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Hammond. Thanks Hammond. <laughs> uh, fun house. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, but especially some of the really good ones. Yes, I know. But, uh, it always surprised me. I mean, some of the best movies, um, I actually was asked the other day, several weeks ago, actually, um, someone who knew that I did this podcast uh, or just found out recently and, and considered themselves a movie buff as well, asked, what was my favorite movie of all time? Uh, and after going through and kind of saying that's impossible because you've got all the depends on what genre you're talking about and what are you judging it by? And is it just by uh, enjoyability? Are you talking about technical prowess or uh, – Anyway, typical movie geek response, how a movie person would answer. Right. Mm -hmm. But as I started kind of in my head, rattling off some of the top movies on my list, as in the best movies, if I had to judge it overall in uh, pacing and and energy and feel and technical and um, the emotional connection in the top 10, there's a good chunk of them that are really horror thriller 
um, in that genre that I would consider kind of a scary movie mm-hmm. that are just great movies. I mean, talk about like Black Christmas oh, or yeah. The Thing or uh, um, The Exorcist. I mean, just some of those movies, The Poltergeist, which we're going to cover this year, and I haven't rewatched yet, mm-hmm. uh, but that's going to be one of our spooky flicks fest movies. But I've watched it, I don't know, five, six years ago ish. Mm-hmm. Um, those movies to me are still some of the best on my top 10 list. So it always kind of surprises me that. Uh, we get into this time of year, and I forget how much I love Pumpkinhead. Uh, that oh, was yeah. from one of, uh, yeah. of our original uh, Spooky Flicks Fest. How much I love those movies and and how um, great they are. Even though I don't watch them all year long, I always look forward to this time of year to kind of give me an excuse to dip back into them. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. I, I would say the movie we're discussing tonight, in my mind— doesn't feel Halloweeny. So for those out there that are like, yeah, it doesn't really have that vibe. And I, I, I agree. But a couple things. A, we've always talked about covering this movie. B, it's it easily. I'm, I'm assuming for you as well, because based on things you said, I know it's in my top ten of all time, and I'm sure it's up there for you as well. I know you specifically have mentioned wanting to cover it multiple times, and realizing that the clock was ticking, we're like, you know what? Ah, screw it. It's going to the Spooky Flex Fest. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I know that we talk about the traditional uh, definition of what is a horror movie. Uh, so, you know, we talk about it has mm-hmm. to have some supernatural element, typically. You know, we talk about Michael Myers. Uh, he's not a serial killer slasher. He's uh, some kind of mythical Something creature. Something, boogeyman. Right. Yeah, and, and that goes into a lot of the other classic horror movies. But for me, this still fits within that same bucket yeah. because it's a, it's a movie uh, that's focused on fear. It's a movie that's mm-hmm. focused on the feel of the movie and how it makes you react. So it's yeah. not a, a drama. It's not a comedy. It's not a historical fiction or, you know, it's it's a movie to create fear. And for me, that still fits within the Halloween time frame because those are the movies I like. Mm-hmm. It's like riding a roller coaster. You know it's safe, but you ride it because it scares the crap out of you. And the really good ones scare you even more. Uh, and it's that same type of feel for me. This is still a roller coaster movie, even though it's not a typical quote unquote horror film. Yeah. And I would agree with everything you said. I mean, we've talked about it before to me in my mind, because I think the first I feel like the first half of it is and then it turns into more of an adventure movie, which is fine. That's that I'm mm-hmm. thinking more along the lines of the I, I do this thing where in certain movies, I just they have a certain feel to them of a seasonal yeah. feel. So. This movie always makes me think of the the summer, so yes. that that's what I think I was getting at, and and yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? That that's probably and yeah. honestly, we've never said that the criteria was it had to have a fall theme. <laughs> so because if that's but I, <laughs> but even but even Night of the Living Dead, for instance, feels yeah. cool to me. It feels autumn. It feels yeah, it does that vibe. Yeah, and and I definitely think the movies that I would more connect with Halloween are the ones for me that have that feel of the season. So uh, uh, like Halloween, for example, the movie Halloween, it definitely feels like it's windblown and leaves and, and that type of thing. So uh, it, it feels like it's happening now. If you're watching it around Halloween time, those movies feel like they're happening now, which Let's be honest. We live in Florida. I was about to say. I was about to say. I was about to say. In our defense, <laughs> as two Florida natives, Jaws is about as fall as we get. It is about as fall as we can get. But but we've all we've been brought up to feel fall sure. is colored leaves. Because even I don't know if you, but even in elementary school, we we did colored leaves. Oh, you know, yeah. we did orange and red and yellow leaves. Although nothing here was like that. So yeah. it's pretty much um, green but, than brown. Like that's the. <laughs> it, it is. But you're right. And this movie is a summer. Uh, 
everything about it has a summer feel. I mean, obviously the whole first half takes place on the beach and in there on the Island, but even the second half is much more of it. You, it feels hot and mm-hmm. you know, they're out on the ocean and that type of thing. So um, it, it, it is much more of a summer feel. Uh, but for me, this is definitely one I would still watch at night and feel that fear and scared. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, feelings, you know, indeed. So, so it just occurred to me other than the title at the beginning, I did. We, did we say we're covering jaws? <laughs> 12 minutes in. So, yeah, we're covering Jaws, in case you missed that part. Jaws the Revenge, yep. specifically. And uh, I'm just kidding. Oh, we're, we're... shit. I watched Jaws 3D. Oh, well, I watched Jaws the Revenge, so we've covered the classics. As long as we got those two covered, you know, the other two songs. Mention those? Yeah. No. yeah. We are talking about the original 1975 uh, based on Peter Benchley's classic. So, yes. Yes. In case you're wondering. Which, hopefully, you're not, because hopefully, if you... <laughs> Pay attention to the opening title and saw the title that you, when you downloaded this episode, it said, you know, Jaws. (laughs) But I guess I almost feel like, what's the point? But go ahead and give them a synopsis. If you don't know what Jaws is about, I'm sorry. I I don't really know what to tell you. Don't take the, wait, wait, are we going to do a trailer first? Oh, good point. Yes. Now I, I attempted. And I prepared for this. Now listen, I prepared for the synopsis, so don't downplay it. Oh, I don't want to downplay it. I'm just saying if anybody's listening to a movie podcast, especially a retro one, and we're doing Jaws and they don't know what it's about, I don't even know what to tell them. Seriously, like that person, I would just kind of just smile, do that little condescending smile and go, I'm, I'm sorry. And then I'd walk away because I wouldn't know what to say. <laughs> if you told me, I, what, what's, now what that jaw, what's that about again? But I'm sure your synopsis. Is that, that dinosaur movie? Is that the one where the yeah the the people get stuck on the island with the dinosaurs, and that <laughs> Spielberg guy made it or something? Chalukas or somebody did. All right. Well, I'll play the trailer. I believe the trailer. I edited it down. Edited it. I hate that. Edited it. Edited it. it. I yep. edited it down to. It was originally three minutes and change, and a lot of that was just screaming and John Williams yeah, yeah. music cue. So I yeah. tried to truncate it. It's just a little over two minutes now. And I'll go ahead and play that, and then we'll jump right back into it. Okay. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. (laughs) This is Universal's extraordinary motion picture version of Peter Benchley's best-selling novel, Jaws. Found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. <laughs> you knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. It's all psychological. You yell barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Is it true that most people get attacked by sharks in three feet of water, about 10 feet from the beach? Yeah. What we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh, an eating machine. We're not only going to have to close the beach, we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark. Bad fish. But I'll catch him and kill him. Did you hear your father out of the water now? 
This shark swallow you whole. You're gonna need a bigger boat. That's a 20 footer. 25. Three tons of them. He's coming straight for us. Don't screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now! Shoot! None of man's fantasies of evil can compare with the reality of Jaws. Roy Scheider. Robert Shaw. Richard Dreyfus. Jaws. See it before you go swimming. Stop! Before you continue, you should be made aware that even though this movie is over 30 years... But 2014, 1994, 1994, 1980, wait, 40, okay. Even though this movie is over 30 years old, if you have not seen it yet, these two are going to spoil the dickens out of it. You have been warned! So that was amazing. <laughs> and thank you for that spoiler alert. Hypothetically, JV, if you in fact gave me one, if not, <laughs> thank you me for creating one. You are an editing God, my friend. That's I, all I got to say. <laughs> I am. I am. It's like we're in the future. We're in the past talking to ourselves in the future. Every episode of, of, of Forgotten Flicks has always been like an episode of Back to the Future every time. <laughs> so would you we like, like we know what's happened already? To yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's how I go through life pretending like I know what's happening. So, Jason, <laughs> would you like to give us a synopsis? Of yes. Jaws? Okay. So uh, this is the story of Ahab and he's going to see <laughs> to hunt his white whale. Indeed. He did no, um, no. So this is this is a story of Amity Island, which is a vacation spot in New England, uh, off the coast of Massachusetts. And what happens is this really is the story of uh, Chief Brody, who is a police chief that has come from Manhattan, uh, New York City, and he's taking over this small town gig as chief. Um, and right away, the, the start of the movie is a shark incident happens. Uh, he's battling whether or not the local municipality, specifically the mayor, will let them close the beaches. And it kind of this goes back and forth uh, with the tension of that the island can't survive without the revenue of their 4th of July holiday season. Uh, and that if they close beaches, the island will suffer. But if they leave them open, more people could get hurt. Uh, what comes down to it is that as everyone probably knows, the shark doesn't just go away. More deaths happen, and uh, the shark hunter must be brought in to catch it, played by Robert Shaw, who Your plays Quint. <laughs> oh, how I earn a living. We know how he earns a living. Oh, I earn and, a and, living. And he said he doesn't, the shark Swimming with four-legged women. That's, <laughs> that's a way to earn a living, I'll tell you. <laughs> and, and you're right, the shark doesn't go away, and you know how we know that, because Quint says, sometimes they go away. Sometimes it wouldn't go away, like an Amway salesman. <laughs> like Jehovah's. Nope. Uh, that was my damn it. That was my door. next joke. <laughs> Beat me to it. All right, continue uh, your synopsis. So anyway, they hire uh, they hire Quint, uh, and and finally enough things happen 
happen that, that uh, the mayor uh, concedes. They hire him, and that's where kind of the second act of the movie. So really the, the story is broken up into two pieces. It's everything happening on the island leading up to the hunting mm -hmm. the shark. Uh, and then uh, when enough happens, you kind of reach this epiphany, uh, this uh, climax of the movie, then they go off in the boat, and it's three of them. It is uh, uh, Chief Brody, played by by Roy Scheider. It is Quince, the captain of the boat, and then it is Richard Dreyfus, uh, who plays Hooper, um, and he is an, a scientist from the Oceanographic Institute, and he was kind of brought in to identify that it was a shark and what it is. So the three of them then kind of go off on their own odyssey. And Cra crazy so side note, I just want to interject this crazy side note. Apparently, under his breath, I'm pretty confident I heard him say this while on the boat. Chopper, sick balls. <laughs> and he was referring to Robert Shaw's Quint and what would eventually happen to him. Yes, and uh, uh, not on purpose. This is the second movie we've done with Richard Dreyfuss, um, uh, but we didn't do that on purpose. Which is weird. He was in. It's almost like we did because we did Princess Bride and then Stand By Me, both directed by Rob Reiner back to back, quote unquote, yep. on accident. Then right. Stand By Me, having Richard Dreyfuss in it, followed by Jaws, back to back, quote unquote, on accident. You know what? Someone's going to do a uh, a psychology paper, a thesis on us, and they're going to fail. Be, they're going to get gonna an a F. case study on something. <laughs> they're going to get we, an F. We, we're, we're definitely going to be a case study on something. The, so. Their advisor, their <laughs> academic advisor, is going to get the paper and be like, "Really? What? What does this even? What? Who cares? How does this? What does this even mean?" And he's going to be, "You can't make this shit up. You can't make this yeah. shit up." There's nobody. Really there's nobody as dumb and crazy as this. There's nobody. <laughs> <sighs> and then they oh, met yes. me. Uh, um, so anyway, they they then go off and hunt the shark, and I'm not going to tell you what happens because that would spoil the end of the movie. And again, if he if <laughs> if he actually could spoil the movie, just go ahead and just turn this off right now. We will spoil it later, but for now, let's assume you haven't seen the end of it. Yeah, let's so. just assume that. <laughs> there it is. Excellent synopsis, my friend. Excellent. And another side question. If they had only paid Quint the $3,000, because he informs them that if he paid them the $10,000... $10,000 for me by myself. For that, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. If they'd only given him that 3000 would he have just brought in one of those three things? No, no. He said, I'll find him for $3,000. Uh, all right. So, if okay, so they gave him the three. He just go and find... And, oh, there he is. And he just turns the boat there back. Found him. Yeah, and then... <laughs> I found he's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? And so he said ten thousand dollars for him by himself, right? That seemed to be a crap. So did they have to pay him more to allow Chief Brody and Hooper to join him? I'm gonna say the case of peach brandy or apricot brandy uh, uh, that he asked for. That was payment for letting Brody come on the boat. Got it. Okay. He said a case of apricot brandy and all of my meals, and he and, said, "Oh, and some two and cases, so, and at least two bow-legged <laughs> and, women." And <laughs> For me to go a swimming with, <laughs> and Brody said two cases, and you can bugger me once. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and I'll and I'll pretend to have a an odd horse like a gait, like I've been riding a horse for a week. Is that is that close enough? <laughs> two, we're two days. Are we two days off of National Talk Like a Pirate Day? This would have been it's too bad we didn't record this two days ago because of the whole episode. and then and then Quint TB. <laughs> The whole episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. It's good to dream. Oh. All right. So I'm going to get this off my chest right now. Oh, God. First of all, how long has it been since you've seen this movie? I, I assume I, not. I, here's the problem. I've seen it so many times. I don't know don't that I remember. can. I, 
I, it's probably been a couple years, and then it's always seemed well, when we had cable, since we don't have it anymore, it would always be on TBS or some channel, and I'd watch 15, 20 and minutes of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to say something about the way we watch movies now. Because I'm going to start to describe movies from now on as pre-podcast or post-podcast. Okay. Uh, because I've seen movies, and we've talked about this a lot. I've seen movies a million times over, and then we decide we're going to cover it as part of the show. And then I sit down to watch it for the show. And I watch it with a completely different eye. Now, that's not to say a critical eye. So I don't watch it and, and always look for the faults or the bads because I, I no no you watch it with an wearing an ascot, a I smoking do. jacket, and a and a, and a three hundred dollar pen in your hand as you jot notes. Going, <laughs> don't forget the cigarette extender. Thing oh yes, that I have you're shaking your head, just uh, like oh my my. Uh, how, elsewhere, my how, how how droll, how trite. <laughs> Oh, pedestrian. Oh, 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 Spielberg, you and your sentimental ways. Yes, I say that as I'm watching killer clowns from outer space. Yes, that's exactly what I do. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. No, but it it has given me a different filter to watch these movies from. And most of it, most of the time, is a greater appreciation uh, because I look for better i look for more things that they do that i didn't appreciate the 50 times that i watched it when i was half paying attention and you know what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. there's so many times like you talk about this being on tbs how many times did you turn the channel to get to it and it's i don't know 38 minutes in and you just kind of half pay attention to it you know and it's because it's rhythm you've seen it before yep when i watch movies now i watch them with it's almost like I savor it more. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes we've covered the movies where you watch them and it's like, oh, I used to love this movie, but now I want to savor it. I take another bite. Uh, come on, keep eating. Keep, oh, uh, now I'm just your, sick. your stomach starts to hurt. The <laughs> yeah, cramps begin. Yeah. Oh, now I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it just doesn't work. No. But the good movies, it gives me a greater appreciation. And I want to say, because I'm not going to wait and play games, I rewatched this movie just to get ready for the show. Mm-hmm. I've seen it so many times, I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned to you before, I love this movie, it's a great one. I watch it now, and I see so many other fantastic things in it mm-hmm. that I feel like I've, and I want to say watched it for the first time. I enjoyed it watching it now more than I ever, ever have. Hmm. And I just saw so many things in it and made so many notes of just bits of film perfection uh, that I really... I, it surprised me. Well, I was I, I was going to ask you something. I, I I kind of felt like to your idea of not playing games or hemming and hawing. I say we get the ratings other way. I think I'm going to speak for you here. I give it a five. It's like like, like yes. waiting to the end to be like, well, what did you think? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. It's bullcrap. No. This is going to be a pretty much <laughs> nose yeah. up Spielberg's ass love fest. So <laughs> if you hate Jaws or still are confused as to what exactly it's all about, please turn this podcast off. But but no, but know that every time we go into a movie, we don't know how that's going to end. No. So we don't know how we're going to end on on what we really think about it. Because every time we pick a movie, we honestly try very hard to pick things that we think we're going to like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never try to pick something we know is going to be a turd. We pick Caveman. <sighs> okay. Uh, but I still remember laughing at that movie the one, first time I watched it. I don't know why it's <laughs> Probably because it's anyway, Ringo Starr. Oh, speak. Hey, wait, but there's a connection because the writer, director of that 
was the writer of Jaws. Well, kind of. Uh, Carl Gottlieb. Uh, yeah, he was the co-writer of the screenplay with Peter Benchley. Well, technically, though, he gets the primary like writers go credit. Like if you Does look he? at the the movie poster I have, yeah, he's his he's the guy on there. It's a story by you know based on a novel by Peter hey, Benchley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I will. <clears throat> He also did the jerk. To be fair, I think he he also didn't he do the jerk with. Uh, I mean, he wrote it with uh, Steve Martin. Uh, he may have. Yeah, I will give him a pass for Caveman. Although I, I will never forget, I will give him a pass. Anyway, so I agree five, absolutely. But I I'm surprised at how much more I liked it watching it now. Now that's interesting um, because I don't necessarily think I had that reaction. But I, I'd be curious to hear why you feel that and way. And I didn't, ex- I didn't expect to not like it. I mean, I, I went into it. I'm like, I love this movie. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to enjoy this two hours. It's going to be great. Easy going into the podcast. But there's just so many elements of it that I, I paid more attention to. I don't know. So a couple of things. One, we'll jump right in here. One of the things I loved is there are so many moments of very powerful silence, hmm. very minimal sound. So from the get-go, you've got a scene where – uh, the, the teenage kids, the girl and the boy are at the bonfire party and she goes running off to go skinny dipping. He's kind of chasing her <laughs> and uh, he goes kind of, he goes off chasing her. She goes in the water. Those moments of just quiet where all you hear is a little bit of the water lapping up on uh-huh. the beach. It's not full breaking waves. It's just a little, yep. it's very, very subtle. Um, and even when she's in the water, you just kind of hear the little bits of splashing, but this, the, there's no music playing at some of these key points. Mm-hmm. It's just silence. And I saw that theme through several parts. Um, another good one that I wrote down was the scene where uh, they had reopened the beach. It was 4th of July. They had the false alarm where the kids had the fake shark uh, fin. Mm-hmm. And the girl is uh, uh, said she sees the shark, sees Jaws coming into the harbor. And they play that moment where um, Michael's the older one, right? Yes, Michael, yeah. And the younger one is, oh, hold on. It's a, oh, I always want to say Josh because I have no. cousins, Michael and Josh, but it's not Damn Josh. It. It's <laughs> Michael. Sean. Sean. That, that's it. Sean Because he was the guy that was in Jaws the Revenge that you love. Um, well, he would. No, no. Michael's the older brother. He's the one. Lance Guest, last Starfighter, is Michael in Jaws the Revenge because at the beginning, spoiler alert on Jaws the Revenge, and you don't want that movie spoiled. Sean dies at the beginning of Jaws of Revenge. He is a he taken on the role of his father, uh, basically. I think he's like the chief on the island, and he ends up being killed. That's what sets it all in motion. You see, the shark has come back for, in fact, revenge. It's just brilliant writing. It really is. I'm really glad Lorraine uh, Gary, the mom, Mrs. Brody in this, came out of retirement just to make that movie. <laughs> I'm really happy that happened. And Mario Peebles will and, never have that and, and, off his and, and Michael... At that time in my career, I would never turn turn down a paycheck. Kane also showed up for that particular. Oh my god, I forgot he was yep. in that. Yeah, he's a love interest, and I. That's right. That's I, right. I, I did that movie makes me so apathetic. I didn't even bother raising my hands to give it air quotes when I said love interest, but that's what I meant. <laughs> that's what happens in your head. <laughs> yes, I got it. Okay, so Sean is sitting on the beach. He's kind of half facing the camera. The camera angle is coming from the sand. Mm-hmm. And it's got him uh, in the foreground. He's just playing oblivious. And in the background, you just have the fins yeah. just sink under the water. And it was just 
little quiet things like that that I really, sure. really liked. And and most of that was in the beginning of the movie, but there were even some in uh, the latter part of the movie. Oh, so yeah, when, when they're, they're sitting on the boat. There, oh, absolutely, yeah. Yes, and just the quiet moments when um, the buoys are out in the water sure. and, and all you hear, it's just seconds and seconds of silence and then a little splash. Splash. Or how, haunting, when, well, how haunting is the part when you hear the whales too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It the whole so anyway my my point was the manipulation of sound or lack thereof yes. uh, played a huge part in the tension of this movie and mm-hmm. and the feel of the movie overall. You there? Hello. Hello. <laughs> See silence. Oh. <laughs> Well played. That's powerful, right? See? Well played. I feel like I literally almost went, oh, come on, Skype. <laughs> Very nicely played. Uh, so anyway, that was one of the things I didn't notice before. And maybe it's just because. Um, Usually you have kids years, screaming you know, in the background. <laughs> generally. Um, but no, just you and I talking over the years, we've talked about some of those tools that filmmakers have uh, to set the tone. And I, I guess I, I think I'm more of an educated movie watcher now than I've ever been. So little things like that, I was just like, man, that's awesome. That well, was so and good. interesting, interesting point. The th- of the three Academy Awards that Jaws won, one it was for best sound. Not really? it, it won for best score and it won for best film editing, but with Verna Fields, but best sound specifically. So the sound design. Wow. Because it did. It was it was perfect. It was a great sound design. It was fantastic. Yeah, it I was. agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent on that. Yeah, it was fantastic. So anyway, that's my first thing. So your turn. <laughs> Oh God, I don't even know where the hell to start. Uh, I think. <laughs> Jaws... So you, let me let me start with this. Let me ask you this. Um, this is based on a uh, we mentioned on, mm-hmm. on a novel by mm-hmm. Peter Benchley. Yes. Have you read the novel? No. One of my good friends did and told me that it was pretty much crap, and oh. <laughs> he did he oh. didn't like it. Well, because the the stories in there's a lot of subplots in the book. One of which oh. is Hooper and Mrs. Brody have an affair. Uh, thank you and i love the movie so much i made this vow to myself i was not going to taint the movie yeah and so yeah it's just well and spielberg even i've i've seen i used to actually have when i had my laser disc collection the most expensive laser disc actually to this day the most expensive movie on fill in the blank blank vhs laser disc or dvd or anything i've ever bought they had a limited edition run it was only apparently like ten thousand copies made I think it was 10,000 of the special edition Jaws LaserDisc. And this would have been mid to late. So like 95. So it may have been like for the 20th anniversary. Actually, now my sense is it was the 20th anniversary. It was this big deluxe box. It had God, was it seven, eight, nine discs in it, I think. Because with LaserDisc, you actually. God. Well, yeah, because with LaserDisc, you had to flip them like records. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's so like just the movie probably covered three or four of those, but there was all these extras, like all these lengthy documentaries. It cost me a hundred and fifty bucks. What? Yes. <laughs> oh my god! And I—that's how much I love this movie. I bought. That's the only one I wow. bought like that. Yeah. So wow! But it was cool because it, it also had—I can't remember the name of the documentary. I think it's now on the Blu-ray and everything else. It's been out there for a while. But yeah, at that yeah. time, it had the most in-depth behind-the-scenes <laughs> documentary that had ever been done on the movie. So that was the other big reason to get it was because of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so they went into things like, which now I think is pretty common knowledge, the idea that Spielberg fought against having that subplot, for instance, 
in yeah. the movie because he realized there would be it would create too much tension on the boat and people would secretly be hoping Hooper gets eaten. Yeah, because they uh, like yeah. Brody. You know, they don't. Right. You know, he may be emotionally distant, distant, and have his issues, but under the circumstances, especially, you get it. Oh yeah, and I guess they do. Ha- he did leave a little element of a, what I felt watching this time. I really paid attention to it as well. Was yeah. the flirtation between with that scene where Hooper comes in and there he brings the wine. And oh, Martin yeah. doesn't say anything. And without knowing that being in the book, you would never even, it was just like they're being kind of, she's being friendly to this stranger. Well, but, that's but funny. You, Cause I always took it like, I always took it like he was the sophisticated, um, uh, intellectual that reminded her kind of of home. Sure. It, it was more of a fondness for that rather than it was like an attraction to him. It Which, was just kind of like, she felt like she was in this backwater little, island sure and he was kind of a reminder of the sophistication they they left or well and and my thought is and i think that's a i think that's a very good observation because my guess is in the book that's probably why she has the affair with him because that's not martin she misses yes yeah and that's not who he is as a person either yeah so i'm just guessing he's the caller yeah well and and so i've never read it either um and i you know i know that peter benchley is a famous author and he you know he did very well but um the question i had was around the book and this movie, do you think the movie eclipsed the author of the original book? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Because I think everybody knows Jaws the movie, but my guess is, especially as you get past that time period, other than real movie and, and book fans, regular folks out there, especially young folks coming up, they may not know it's based on a book. But yeah, they true. know the movie. They know Spielberg, and everybody yeah. knows that music. And but if you say okay, and and also you could say who wrote the book, Jaws. They may say, oh yeah, I heard it was written based on a book. Who wrote it? That's where you'd get. Yeah, that's true. People that's wouldn't true. know unless you watch unless you watch the trailer for this movie, which mentions it like three times. Of course, so. because but at that time, <laughs> think about it. Up to that point, Spielberg yeah, had only had done point, one yeah. theatrical feature that had not done exceptionally well sugarland express and will not yeah. mention anything else because theoretically that might be a movie pick and <laughs> and because so this was his first opportunity let's say outside of tv and sugarland express to really break out he was not a real known quantity the main reason i think he got this gig was he was sid sheinberg the head of universal at the time, the president of uh, Universal at the time, he was had taken Spielberg on as a bit of a mentor or as a, and like uh, for his protege. Or yeah, something, yeah, yeah, very, very much like that, because his uh, Spielberg's short film Amblin that he had done, it was a silent film. It's 27 minutes long about these two kids that are just <laughs> literally Amblin. They're just walking along kind of a hippy dippy kind of thing without it being it's not it's a very accessible film in true Spielberg fashion. I saw it a long, long time ago. Meaning that it's pretty linear, straightforward, but it's yeah. silent. There's sound effects and music, but there's not talking that I recall. And yeah. it's mainly just these two kids and it's just got this sweet quality <laughs> to it. But, you know, it's meant to be a little bit more earthy, and but it's not experimental. You look at like early movies from uh, Scorsese or Coppola or any, any of those guys, they were doing, trying to do different things. That's not Spielberg. So he did that. He had done... Uh, Night Gallery, he had shot an episode of that with Joan Crawford. He did another thing that I'm not going to mention because, again, theoretically it might be a movie pick. And then 
which was really <laughs> what put him on the map. And, and so things like that. And I know, and actually, there's a couple other TV pieces that I've always tried to find that are really, yeah. again, to be fair, didn't look on YouTube. It's amazing to me in this day and age how many times I have like struggled. I'm like, I wish I could see that again. And I literally will have, a, will record something and I'll be thinking that and I just will not do it because I apparently forget there's this thing called YouTube where 99.8% of everything I want to watch is on there. Now, sometimes it's not, but usually the old stuff is. Somebody oh, recorded oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yep. But anyway, the, the point being that Sid Sheinberg, interesting trivia note, was the, and I believe still is over 50 years, the husband of Lorraine Gary, who played Mrs. Brody. Oh, really? Yes, that's why she got the gig. Uh, I gotcha. You know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hollywood and it's nepotism, baby. <laughs> that doesn't happen out there. Yeah. Part oh, of the family. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. See, okay, Steven, here's the deal. You get to make this movie. We're gonna give you a nine million dollar budget or whatever. Or I was at fifteen million, it was something for the time period it was pretty high, and it went way over budget and it was a disaster. Like they had problems. I think the story is the second they put the shark in the water, it just sank to the bottom. Boom, to the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why, and actually that, I don't know if you're familiar with that, that, that bit of lore that the reason why so much of this movie at the beginning is shot from the shark POV and from that water level was a last minute improvised decision by Spielberg because the shark either looked crappy or they couldn't get it to work. So he's like, look, we got to do something. And he had the, that it just kind of hit him. Wait a minute. Why don't we just suggest it? Why don't we not show it? Because we show it too much. It's going to look stupid. And so rather than forcing it, that's what he chose to do. And he didn't show it until he had to show it. And as a result, in my opinion, the reason why this movie works at the level it works is for a couple factors. You mentioned one that is the sound, and obviously that goes with the score as well. But Verna yeah. Fields is editing, and that choice uh, with William Butler, I believe, is the uh, – was it William Butler? No, yeah, Bill Butler? I think is the DP. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. He, that The choice to shoot a lot of it at that level – is what makes it so iconic. I mean, and then Verna okay. Fields was a very seasoned <clears throat> editor, I believe. I want to say, was she in her 60s? She, I mean, one, of the, one of the stories I think was on that documentary was about how, you know, young, I mean, Spielberg is what? See, 1975, he was born in 46. So he's 29. 30 years old. <laughs> 30, yeah, basically right. 30 years yeah. old. And she, yeah. because they shot it, I'm assuming th- 74 even. So he was even younger. He's under 30. She's <laughs> in her 50s at least. I'm pretty sure she was. And, you know, so just that dynamic and I, of getting to sit there with this person who had all this experience, because I think editing along with a couple other areas was one area in film that women were able to get access to as a career, where, yeah. whereas you know, things like directing, there were very few, and that kind right. of thing. So, but that was one area. So Verna Fields really excelled in that area. And her editing of the movie, like when you will, like just for instance, the scene where Quint is you know, trying to, the boat's sinking, the orca's sinking, and his feet. I have seen that scene a gajillion times. Everybody's seen that scene a gajillion times. And I swear to God, it is always suspenseful. Every freaking time. You know it's going to (laughs) happen. Yes, yeah. There's no surprise. I mean, there's none. But the pacing... it feels like he could get out. Yeah, the the pacing of it is such that you totally believe he might make it. And if I'm not mistaken, outside of this movie... And maybe Sugar Lake, like pre this movie, like anything after this movie, because I think it starts with Close Encounters, which would have been Spielberg's next one after this. Yeah. I think Michael Kahn, 
to this day has been his editor. And I think it has to do with the fact that Verna Fields, I know she passed away. I don't know why he didn't use her. Let's see. She passed away. Oh, she passed away in 82. She was 64 when she passed away. She was in her, I was right, about mid 50s when she made, she edited this. Yeah. He didn't use her for obviously several movies after that, but Michael Kahn, I'm pretty sure is who it is that he has used as his editor ever since. Like that's the guy. Yeah. So, but anyway, I don't even know what the hell your original. (laughs) That's the problem with this movie. It's like I always know more trivia about it than. Any movie we've ever covered. So I like, and you know what else? And there's this one thing you, did you see that one thing? Like, first, it's the shooting star thing. You saw the two shooting stars? Yeah. He Spielberg claims, at least the one that goes over Brody's head, because I think there's one over the boat at night, too, right? Yeah, like the, they show the, the long shot of the boat yeah. kind of floating in the dark water. Yes, he claims, he claims that the one over Brody's that head, that's real. real. That's what he claims. Now, I'm wow. not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's highly improbable <laughs> that. Well, it depends on when they shot it because during November, you've got. Uh, I think they uh, shot this during the summer. I'm pretty sure they. I don't know when the exact dates were that they shot it, but I'm pretty sure it was a spring to summertime shoot, I think. Say, because in November, there's the Leonid, Leonid, uh, Leonid shower. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, but I'm not saying it's impossible. Definitely not wow, impossible. Man, what luck. But, <laughs> but I think one of the points that somebody's made that in. A lot of Spielberg's movies, if you pay attention, there's a shooting star, which relates to If You Wish Upon a Star yeah. reference in Pinocchio. And because yeah. Disney was a huge influence on Spielberg. Yeah. So it's an interesting idea. I, I I don't know. Regardless, it looks cool. So who cares? It doesn't. And, and you know what's Go ahead. No, you first. Go ahead. No, absolutely you. I've okay. rattled on enough with my <laughs> trivia. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. I don't know, like five factoids. Uh, back from when you were talking <clears throat> talking about when they had to improvise because when they first started shooting it uh the shark wasn't working so they went to some of the pov stuff the most i i argue the most iconic shot in the entire movie if you had to pick one is probably the very beginning when the girl's swimming and you've got the pov of the shark coming up mm-hmm. and she's swimming What's on the, the poster surface. right i mean basically yeah, yeah. yeah sort of because it's a girl right yeah but that shot is probably the most frightening because you're not the shark as the as the um movie viewer mm-hmm. so it's not like you identify no but it's almost like you're riding along and when that one of the things that struck me about that whole scene that first scene was uh i'd forgotten how violent it was oh it is it's intense um she looks like she's in pain intense. yes and and she is tore up now, now no, oh go ahead and say I'm going to pick a net. P- pick a net. Does not, does not take anything away from the movie. The guy on the beach had to be – one of two things had to happen here because the guy chases her. She goes out in the water, right? She swims out and says, let's go swimming, skinny dipping, yada, yada. He kind of falls behind trying to get undressed, gets out there. Uh, she screams her head off mm-hmm. in pain. It's violent. It's graphic. It, I mean, you, it's visceral. Mm-hmm. So one of two Two things has had to happen. Either she is an Olympic level swimmer and somehow got like a mile offshore. Well, no, she's out. She's out near the buoy, man. So I mean, that's at least <laughs> uh, she's at least what maybe a hundred yards plus out. A couple hundred, but like in thirty seconds. <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> he barely follows behind her and she's gone. She's screaming. But when they show him on the beach, like trying to talk himself to, into going out and swimming with her, and they cut back and forth between him at the, on the on the shore mm-hmm. at the water's edge. And they cut to her screaming bloody murder. He hears nothing. Hmm. So uh, that's right. But anyway, so that whole scene was just so 
violent, and they showed no shark in that whole thing. No, none. There, there was no mechanical shark. There no was no fin. There was no fin. There was nothing. But to me, that was still, aside from Quinn, when he gets uh, munched on the boat, like you talked about, that's still very, very tense. That whole scene to me is still the most violent and uh, scary. And it's dark. You can barely make her face out. All you're really working on is outlines of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of the most powerful things. So that, I, I think that POV thing kind of worked out. For well, me. absolutely. So. <laughs> and now one of the stories that I'd always believed, although recently I read something from the actress, the the, the woman you're referring to, her, that, uh, Su- Su- yeah, Su- Susan Backline, yeah, or Backliney or Backliney. Yep. She claimed that this isn't the case. But for years and years and years, the story was the reason why she sounds like she's in such pain is because she was because the rig oh, the the, the, thing the, that they had her hooked into that, that it essentially was breaking one of her ribs. Oh, I, I do remember hearing that. Well, I do remember hearing she that claims she was... now that that's not actually true. Now, whether or not that's one of those. How much did they pay her to say? It well, wasn't exactly. True? Like, was it, is it that? Cause I don't know why you're usually it's the opposite, right? You're early on. Oh no, it was fine. That's just me being a great actress versus and when then, they get older. They're like, yeah, that son of a gun. He did. Exactly. It broke my ribs. <laughs> so for her to go the opposite direction, but see, I don't know that I ever heard her say, yeah, but see, I don't yeah, know. I, yeah. but, but, okay. Again, just total sense memory. I could be making this up. To myself, I'm lying to myself here. I don't know, but my memory is seeing her in an interview in a docu- behind the scenes documentary on this, where she said she was being, it was actually hurting her. And now maybe it was, but maybe that it wasn't doesn't to the extent that it sure. broke rib or something. Yeah. And maybe they cut it in such a way to make it imply that that's why that's that performance. But maybe they, they weren't connected at all. It could have been, yeah, she was hurt. She told him to stop. They re-rigged her up. She did the scene. One had nothing to do with the other. It's also you mean fun. to imply that there's the potential that a director would inflict genuine angst, pain, or emotional damage just to get a good reaction out of an actor or actress? No. Allah, stand by me. <laughs> yeah. No, that's different. He just made them cry. <laughs> They're just kids. Don't get over it. emotionally damaged. Because you know what? Kids are resilient. Kids are resilient. He could have punched them in the face, threatened to held them by the scruff of their necks off the edge of that 100-foot drop. He said, you little SOB, if you don't effing cry, and if you don't effing run from that train, I'm going to effing have you snuffed off the planet. And then then he brings it back off the edge. They're just like shaking. He just kind of brushes their shoulders, straightens out their shirt, and says, now, kind of taps their face. Give me what I need. And he walks away. (laughs) No, no. He actually pushes them off the bridge. They fall down to the bottom so that when they heal and come back, he says, you know how much it hurts. Yeah. You better me real. Yeah. Yeah. You you now have an actual experience upon which you can draw as an actor. You better go method, you little son of a. (sighs) Yes. So. I, I did want to say you brought the issue up of imp- that improv sense, right? And I, I, yeah. I believe proving that sometimes a lack of resources or money or whatever can serve you well. In that instance, Raiders, it wasn't necessarily a lack of money per se, but the idea that when Harrison Ford had dysentery, I believe it was, oh, yeah, and yeah. the whole swordsman scene, how awesome. But that's an yeah. improvised scene, right? So yeah, yeah. a couple of the most iconic movies and icon- iconic images slash yeah. – elements are due to Spielberg having to make it up as he goes along. Yep. There are a couple things in this movie improvised as well by actors that 
one in particular I didn't realize, and I, I'm surprised up until this point that I'd never heard this. I don't know why I didn't put two in. Maybe I had and just forgot. But that Roy Scheider, he himself in, in, invented, <laughs> improvised. You're going to need a bigger boat. He impl- really? He, to me, that is like if you have to pick a line. Uh, yeah, that's the line from that's the one line from the movie yeah. that everybody knows. Yep, everyone knows. So, so he, he made that up. That's what that that's what they said. Actually, I think Spielberg oh. attributed it to him that said he did. Now, an interesting point of contention is that the Indianapolis speech, the one that I played the intro. Yes. Yep. Which is Bobby. Overall, if I had to pick like a moment in the whole movie. That I love. I just love, 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 love. It's that whole sequence. Those three guys on the boat. It's at night. You, you know, sharing just, stars. Yeah, and, the whole, yeah. Yo, and yeah. when when, uh, when Richard or Hooper pulls his shirt open, he points it right here. Yeah. He goes, right here, right here. And, and, and Brody says, uh, well, you're wearing a sweater? <laughs> and he goes, no. Mary Ellen, whatever her name is. Yeah. She broke my heart. And just the way he laughs. He's such oh, an infectious God. laugh. Yeah. And just oh, the whole. And then you. And that's the moment, too, where Quint. Obviously can't stand this little rich, smart, ki- you know, intellectual kid. He can't stand him, right? You know, he's never you know, the whole thing is, yeah, 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 you got city hands. You know, I don't need this. Yes, yeah, I don't need yes. this working class man crap. You know, all that. Well, there was a moment we quit. You could tell he respects him. There's like yeah. a moment of respect there, and as yep. all the but, but then the whole the way Robert Shaw reacts. Wasn't it Hooper or Roy Shaw that said, "What's that one?" Yeah, I think. Hooper, well, I think Warshider asked him that, but then I think Hooper follows it up with, oh, he said it was a ta- it was a tattoo. And then Hooper said, what did he say, mom? And starts laughing. Oh, yeah, yeah. To me, that moment, the reaction of Quint is so yeah. real because Hooper's making a joke and doesn't realize he's putting his foot in his mouth. It's sort of like if you made a joke about it, it turned out it had been like Holocaust numbers, like he'd been in Auschwitz, right? Oh, yeah. And, and the fact that Quint knows something he doesn't know and the way he smiles, he's not condescending in that smile. He's not pain. It's not anger. It's just that that kind of knowing smile like you have no idea, kid. You know, and just and yet at the same time trying to humor him. I, I, there's something about that moment to be so effing real. I love it. And then when he gives the speech, which do you know the backstory of that? Not the Indianapolis, but the actual speech itself and how it came about. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, I know the story of the real USS Indianapolis and the story of the ship that sank and all that happened. Actually, there's a couple of really cool documentaries on it um, about the mythos versus the reality of what really happened. And um, the actually, the story that, that I saw said that the tales of shark attack were actually greatly exaggerated. Yes. The actual people that died from shark – there were people. Let, let me get this straight. There were uh, – uh, sailors that died that were killed by sharks and all, but uh, they they believe that many of the shark attacks that happened were people who were already dead or you know sailors floating in the ocean that were already killed because of the ship sinking and all. But um, there was a lot of other stuff going on at the time. But um, but I didn't I haven't heard anything about the um, speech itself, mm. like Quint's speech. Well, the story is that. It was written by a bunch of different people. <laughs> I had always been under the impression that Robert Shaw had improvised a lot of it. I, I was under that yeah. impression for some reason. Well, a little research says, no, that's not exactly accurate, that it was originally written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb. And okay. they knew they he was going to have the speech that he had been on the Indianapolis, but they didn't know. And I want to say, 
have the idea of having him even be on the Indianap- Indianapolis is not something from the book. It's something that maybe Gottlieb came up with. It's, it, it was a fantastic motivator sure. for why he was sure. the shark obsessed, you know, shark hunter kind of guy yeah. like that. It was the perfect I've lived through hell because of these demons. And even earlier, because he talks about, well, no, no, I, it was in the speech, but he talks about you look into their eyes. They're, they're black, they're dark, black eyes. eyes. Yes, they have no soul. Eyes. They're not alive. Um, that whole thing, it directly correlates back to when Brody walks into his shop, his, yeah. I don't know, wherever his stuff is. Yeah. And all of those shark oh, jaws. Yeah. It's almost like he's been chasing. It's an obsession. Yeah. Re- yes. He's been chasing revenge for all these you years. You said and- Ahab. You were right. I mean, it's obviously yeah, an allusion to that. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, an Ahab hunting. Well, and the name whale, of the but- boat and the name of the boat. His boat's Orca. Nah, yeah. And so, I mean, I I don't think they were trying to be super subtle with that symbolism. No. no. But what's interesting is I don't know that it was even necessary for us to know about the Indianapolis in that his character is so well designed and defined in the way it was written and the way Shaw portrays him up to that point. I think you just assume either A, he's just kind of nuts or B, it's just he's a salty old sea dog who hates sharks. And for what he has his reasons and we don't know what they are. We don't necessarily need to know what they are. But then so then when that vulnerable, because it's a vulnerable moment for him, I think that's what it's shocking. He's the only one. Yeah. Up to that point, he's the only one man's man, you know, doesn't put up with any, you know, pussy futting around. Uh, Yep. I mean, the, the moment when. Ellen Brody and Martin are give you know he's obviously very nervous. She asks him if he has his Dramamine and, right. and and he's getting a great deal on the boat. And if you pay attention, that's when Quint starts off with his little somewhat racy poem, right? Yes. And, and he and they said that what Spielberg had directed him is come now that was improv because he came up with the uh, the line of I think that was the line with the bow legged women. Or something to that effect at that point. Yeah. And it was to get under her skin because yeah. he doesn't want to see these two canoodling on near his boat. He wants to get going. Uh, and and everybody knows women on a ship are bad luck. Wow. No, that's that's real you, seafarer. You you, you, you said it. I, it I, please send your hate mail to Jason <laughs> at ForgottenFlix.com. Yeah, I know. I know. I know that was the belief. Yeah. Along with Albatross and whatnot. So, yeah, he... The whole Indianapolis speech, the, the the legend is those two wrote it. But then John Milius was brought in by Spielberg because they were friends. Milius was part of the group, the Lucas, Spielberg, yeah. the Scorsese, yeah. De Palma, the inner circle. The inner circle. You know, yeah. he, he is, of course, the writer of Apocalypse Now. He wrote and directed Red Dawn, the Co- yeah. Conan, you know, at least the first Conan movie. So he was brought in because he is, he is notorious for being a man's man and, and, and being, he's a historian too. He knows a crap ton about military history. And actually uh, you've seen the big Lebowski. Uh, bits and pieces. Okay. You, you're familiar with the John Goodman character, the crazy. Yes. Okay. Yep. That is, he, the story is that's actually very much based on John. <laughs> that, that, that crazy ass carrying a gun, who yeah. just yelling obscenities, just <laughs> half. And if you look at Melius's face and his beard and everything, he does look, there's a I'm real striking it. similarity between the two. It's pretty it. funny. So anyway, but that he came in, well, then the, the story goes, Robert Shaw got a hold of it. Robert Shaw was actually a pretty respected, uh, uh, well-respected playwright as well as an actor. Really? Yes. And so he 
took a shot of and the version that we hear most people have gone and said that we're connected i think benchley and, and and a lot of the people have gone on to say that the version you hear is Shaw's. I mean, there's a little bit from other people and they down, I think Carl Gottlieb downplays it. Yeah. Emilius came in a little bit, but he was not give, he didn't do as much as it was. He was credited with, but yeah. it's mostly Shaw. Gotcha. And that when he initially he, Shaw had a drinking problem. And when he came in to first do that speech, he was so <laughs> far gone drunk that it, there was, it was unusable. Apparently it was just a disaster and, it, and people were pissed uh, and it was horrible. He apparently came to Spielberg, I think the next day apologized and said, I want to do this right now. And that whole thing was done in one take. That scene. One take. Wow. wow. So they shot all the stuff with him was one take. Yeah. And then I think what you could tell it's all master shot from a little bit further away, more towards Brody's side of the boat. And then yeah. it, it, at one point towards the very end of the speech, it does cut into a tighter shot on Quint, but yeah. up to that point, I mean, it was all shot in one take. And, yep. and then obviously you have your cutaways to Cooper and Brody, yeah, yeah, yeah. but man, I mean, uh, wow. I just, wow, 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 wow. Well, and, and I got to say that the two, my, my two favorite scenes in this entire movie are both Quint's. So it's the one where he's telling that story, the one where they're all sharing their scars mm-hmm. and the one where he, in the beginning that you already played at least part of the audio for where he puts his, nails on oh, the chalkboard. I hate that so much. But but his delivery of both of those oh. uh are just they're brilliant. Stellar. Those, Robert and, Shaw is so such a great actor. He was fantastic. And so one of the things that I wrote down about um some of the scenes of this movie uh was gravitas because I feel like some of the scenes had so much gravity to them, so much drama, so yeah. much uh um genuine yes. Uh, they pull you in. And so the Quint, you got two of Quints, but the other one that I'd for, I know the scene, I know this whole movie. I could walk through it step by step. The scene where they caught the tiger shark in the beginning. Yes. And they think the it's mom. the real shark. And the mom comes oh. up. Dude, she belts him, belts Brody. She across went, by the, the way, they did it multiple times. She hit him for real every time. Cause apparently she was not, I don't know if she wasn't, you know, a seasoned enough actress. She did not know how to throw a fake slaps he just told her to do it i think roy scheider went on in some interview later to say something to the effect of that was the most painful experience i've ever had <laughs> as an actor she imagine. was actually ha- she calling off and jacks she hits him. him she, yeah, hits she him. jacks him but that whole scene uh it's not it's it, it's not just brody's reaction because you know she hits him first she says she walks up to him she's in all black she's in mourning mm-hmm. uh she walks up Are well you, i think real quick Brody? real quick let me just add this or you add it because the hypothetical person that's never seen this movie and needs us to fill it in, yes. which, by the okay, way, would make so, it a spoiler, but go yes, ahead. Yes, that's right. So at one point, uh, the f- girl in the beginning dies. They mm-hmm. go back and forth whether or not to close the beach. The mayor wins out. They reopen it. Mm-hmm. And this little boy uh, who's swimming in the uh, ocean actually gets killed by the shark. Actually gets eaten, right? So then they, of course, go over the top. That's when they um, Quint first offers mm-hmm. to catch the shark. Everybody else comes in from all over the place, all these crazy uh, folks from the mainland, to try and win the reward, $3,000 to kill the shark. They just killed this kid. So they catch one. They catch this giant tiger shark, which is a real shark. is huge. Uh, um, and they want to do an autopsy on it to tell for sure if it's the shark that killed the boy. And the setup to it was, I think, part of what made the scene so powerful, but most of it was in the scene itself. But the mayor's like, I am not going to cut this thing open and have that little, I forget. Kit- like, uh, yeah, Kittner boy, Kittner boy, Alex Kittner Kittner, boy yeah. spill out all over the deck. 
he whispers that to these two guys. But as he says it, she gets out of a car, Mm -hmm. uh, like they all turn every single person. And this dock is full of, I don't know, three, four dozen people. Oh, all easy. Kind of oh, easy, crowding yeah. around, right. Crowding around this shark. It's just this mayhem. She gets out of the car. The entire crowd goes dead silent. Mm-hmm. She walks up and says, are you chief Brody? And he, he acts like he has no idea who she is or what's going on. Well, yes, I am. That's what she just whack right across the face. And he turns and that, I think that sinks in. Mm-hmm. And she goes into this speech about, I just learned that you knew that the waters were dangerous and you left it open. And this goes to that whole point of silence too, because there are several points when she just kind of stands there. Oh, I know. And there's no dialogue. There's no sound, nothing. There's just the silence where she's staring at him and she's kind of half keeping herself together and half falling apart. And she said, and at the end of it, she just says, my son is dead. And I want you to know that. Yeah. No, she, she, she doesn't say I blame you either. She no. says, I just want you to know my son. And she turns away and the mayor says, yeah, under his breath, she's wrong. She's huh? Yeah. Yeah. Under his breath. He's like, she's wrong. Martin. No, he says it. Yeah. He says it to Brody. He's like, no, no, she's wrong. man." and Brody just says, no, she's not. And then the crowd kind of disperses. And it's this whole, it sets up the whole, the whole tone for the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie and the motivation for why uh, uh, Brody's character goes on this quest with them. This kind of odyssey is that, he, in the beginning, the very first thing, if you look at his energy when the first shark attack happens, when he sees the body of the girl, he's going to shut it all down. Mm-hmm. He's done with it. Yep. He's going to close yep. it off. He yep. follows his conscience. Then he has those moments where he begins to give in. Mm-hmm. When that kid dies, it's like it's... It goes, well, I think on. it goes from at the beginning even. I felt the way he reacts is is in a very methodical... He's a seasoned cop. Yeah, something this bad happens. This is what you do. This is the you go. This is like very, it, very by the book. Do. Yep. Because he even asked one of the other uh, deputies in the beginning. He's like, "Where do we keep the beach clothes signs?" And the guy's like, yep. "Oh, we don't have those." <laughs> yeah. So he acts like it's yep, just another thing. We're going to start shutting it down. Um, but when his kids were involved in it, that's when it, of course, takes the mm-hmm. much more emotional turn. But that moment in the in the movie, I think, was the real. It's pivotal. That was the pivotal point. Because yeah. you're right. Because his kids, the whole thing with his kids, because. That whole part with um, after uh, Alex, right, is when is it's after Alex when he goes into the lagoon or the whatever. Yes, yeah. Kidner Boy gets killed. Is mm-hmm. Alex right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, that's when they catch the tiger shark, and then the mayor's like, "Nope, you know, we're gonna open the beach." That that's was right. the shark yeah. killed it. Yeah. And then when they reopened it for Fourth of July, like the neck that weekend, that's when Michael was out on his sailboat sure. in the lagoon and that's when sean little sean was playing on the sand and they did that yes. whole scene yeah um and then of course the guy gets eaten well we see and i'll tell you right Michael now that to me water. as a kid and to this day oh my Quint, god quint sliding into the shark's mouth bothers me but that because it's what it is is that anger the guy is in a boat and he's asking the kids hey what are you guys doing da, 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 da. You know, a little bit of a creeper but we'll let that go and then the shark <laughs> yeah he was he goes you guys doing okay yeah, and it was just hey weird. you guys you guys like a little weed and <laughs> and so hey, you know it's the 70s it was a different time so he, the, the shark hits the his boat and their boat spills everybody in the water and at one yep. point it comes by you know it goes near michael and, yes. and but there's that moment where the guy is on the his boat trying to get out and you just see from up above the shark 
ang- like out from the side. He's like turned sideways, Underwater, mouth sideways, wide open, yes. coming at his legs. Yeah. Oh God, was- I hate that. <laughs> it's in in Jaws two. You've seen Jaws two, right? Oh yeah. I would make the argument Jaws two is a fantastic movie. I, I do love that one. And the only problem with Jaws two is it came after Jaws. Because had it been its own thing, it, I don't know if it would be. I don't know if it would be the classic because it's not perfect by far, but it's not as tight and it's not as well told as a story. And it is, but it has a lot of the same elements that made the first one good. Yes, I mean, it, it has does. A lot as of as sequels go, it's not better than the original, but it's darn good. Yes. But there's yeah. a moment where I think it's Sean in that one and the woman that's on the the boats have all been flipped over and they've had to you know yep. rig them together and they're sliding and the shark it's the same scenario same type of thing and there's something about that that inability to get up as it's coming yes. like when the guys are oh like when the yes. old two old guys are on the dock yeah and they throw out the woman the, the guy says his wife's roast and either trying to catch yes. it so they get the money put it on the chain and the hook yes that was so brilliantly done because it rips it the dock <laughs> off and the one guy's in the water and the other guy gets back in time he's like come on charlie because you see the dock the, the dock turn the whole Trust dock me. so you know that's the shark and so yes. you had a visual cue of where the shark was otherwise you don't I, know if you've seen a fin yet it'd been scary but because it's that dock you know that's going to slow it down a little bit so otherwise why wouldn't it catch him right but you see that oh, dock no. coming and they go charlie don't don't look back charlie just keep swimming <laughs> and he's getting his feet up on and you just know that they could grab him at any second oh my god i hate that yeah that movie i mean that scene uh in the movie was fantastic because i i'm the same reason that you watched the scene where quint gets eaten and then it's still tense. Mm-hmm. That scene still gets me. I, I think know that may get me more than the, that scene with his feet slipping real close up right at the water's he, edge. Yes, that gets me more than anything. In the water. And you see that. And then the I love the, my favorite part of the whole scene is it just dies. Mm-hmm. And the dog just slowly drifts in. And, and then yeah, like, right and, up onto the sand. And what does the one guy say? How does he say it? Does he say, what does he just say? Something effective like, you know, like, you know let's go home now. Or, yeah, yeah. Or something so, like this. Something very like I'm just exhausted. Just, just that whole tension, and of course you got the John Williams music playing in the background, and everything is just a, at this crescendo, and then it just gets real quiet, and then the dog just kind of drifts in. It, it's it's fantastic. I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I look. I, my crap. I have about. I have okay, no so, doubt we could do this for another hour and a half. Okay, but let me let me ask you this one last question before we finish it. up. <clears throat> How many years after watching the this movie was it before you could get back in the ocean again? <laughs> I was eight when I first saw this. <laughs> because I'll tell you, uh, I could barely swim in the swimming pool. Oh, at I know. Night. <laughs> if, it, if it didn't have a light on, I wouldn't jump in. <laughs> and so knowing if it was, the bottom was concrete and that nothing could live in it. No, I, know. I still wouldn't get in that water. Combined with no. that in the movie Alligator from 1980, which has a scene where oh. the alligator's in a pool and somebody jumps in. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, for me, it was piranha. Or piranha. That. Yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah, no, to this day, day, to this day, I'm not joking. When I go to the beach, and I grew up in St. Petersburg, okay? Beaches everywhere. I To this day, I usually only will go out to about my knees, even though I know <laughs> technically that's still where they can nail you. And when my kids are with me, I am like, I am like effing Brody in that damn shark tower, dude. <laughs> Because you know the only thing, the, I'm not joking. Shapes. I am not joking, and ev- all I'm hearing in my head is, dun dun. Which we haven't even touched on is probably one of the most iconic musical scores of any movie ever. I mean, it's up there with the Close Encounters. It's up there with Indiana Jones. Up there with Star Wars. Up there with it's it's 
it's brilliant music Pro- as is John Williams. But, so. but proving, proving, now keep on, this is pre-Star Wars John Williams. Yep. Now, he had worked with Spielberg before on Sugarland Express. That was their first movie they worked on together. And he, had okay. done, and he had other scores he had done, but he, this is a pre star Wars, John Williams. So while yeah. he was respected and had lots of, you know, pull that way, he was not John Williams, you know, no. <laughs> pre star Wars, pre Raiders, pre Superman, John Williams. Spielberg didn't like it. And in fact, the, the, the way what? it goes, yeah, the way it goes, <laughs> the, one of the, again, you hear stories, so I don't, you know, take it for what it is, yeah, but yeah. that Thanks sup- for good folklore. supposedly he asked him if he was joking with him at <gasps> first, like he didn't get how that was going to work. But have you ever, huh. and obviously I'm assuming he was meaning specifically the because it's so simple, right? Yeah. But have you ever watched, because they did a Lifetime Achievement Award, the AFI did, for Williams several years back, and they, they always, whenever they do those, they do like an hour and a half long presentation. Yeah, retrospective. They and yeah. showed primarily scenes, I think they showed the dock scene, and they showed the scene where they're on the boat chasing the barrels. Yes, yes. They showed them without music, but with sound effects, <laughs> the way it was, and with dude, yeah. night, and oh, absolutely. day. Like the day, like here, but here's what blows your mind, right? The music is typically done after. Like you don't, you don't go to make your movie and know what the score is going to be. So as you're putting the scene, you're like, oh yeah, and this is the part where the music's dun dun dun. Yeah. You don't know that as a filmmaker. No. So no, the fact you don't. Um- Unless you hear it in your head, like if you're trying to imagine it, there's none of that happening but, when you're shooting it. And unless you are John Williams, how are you going to imagine that? Yeah, you don't know what the sound what, Right, right. But what I'm getting at is so they shot it the way they shot it. They edited it, edited it, the way they edited it, <laughs> and then they gave it to him, and he watched it, and he scored it. Yeah, yep. It could have gone south so easy. It would have still well, been a well-made movie, but I would make the contention. That that music is fifty percent responsible for why that movie works the way it does. Absolutely, and and I would say that there are lots of movies, especially the movies that we see as iconic, that we see are some of the best ever because sure. it's the sound and the music that mm-hmm. puts you in a tone mm-hmm. and give you the feel of being part of it. Yep. Uh, that just the movie alone cannot do. Yep. Uh, it it really really is gen genuinely that powerful and that's one of the reasons i love i mean that's why i'm such a fan of music scores and and such a big fan of uh the people who write that music is it is all it is as powerful as the scene you are looking at uh, to it is the music in your ear and the emotion that it creates when you're experiencing whatever's happening on the screen so um it's huge and in this movie as much as any of spielberg's uh, but i think one of the things i'm happy for is that he trusted the people around him mm-hmm. uh, that yes, this is, trust me, this is it. This is good. And and he went with it because his movies, I, you know, of course, cause he's done so much with John Williams, but um, that's what made them as big as they are is because of some of the, the, uh, the John Williams music, but the scores in general um, yep. were just gigantic. So you can't discount that. I, I agree. And honest to God, I think we have to stop there. Cause I have got like 18 more. <laughs> talk about i do my list is not empty i'm like and did you know that one scene they shot it in a pool and that scene that was actually a real shark and that's yeah so on that note my friend Uh, i say we go brilliant brilliant we go to our movie hi this is good night hansen leatherface from the texas chainsaw massacre and you're listening to forgotten flicks in case you couldn't make that at the beginning that was gunner hansen aka leatherface and this is uh, uh uh forgotten flicks 
it, it is. It is. And yes. and uh, thank you, Peter. That's all I'm saying. Thank you, uh, Peter, for getting Leatherface <laughs> to give us a drop. <laughs> so, Jason, wow me, thrill me. To, to quote the great Tom Atkins in Night of the Creeps, a previous October Spooky Flicks Fest. In fact, I believe from our first season of October Spooky Flicks Fest. Thrill me with your movie pick. <laughs> you may say wow, but not with the same tone that you would say it from an excitement. <laughs> but, um, so I could have gone with the Dreyfus film. I could have gone with another Spielberg film. I could have even gone with another Benchley uh, film. But I, I decided to go with that same uh, Chasing the Great Whale movie. Mm. I actually went with Orca, okay, um, which is from 1977. It was a couple years after this. It starred uh, uh, Richard Harris, mm -hmm. uh, another very famous British Dumbledore, actor. Dumbledore, kind of. Yep. Um, who, who, a fantastic actor, uh, also stars Bo Derek and uh, Keenan Wynn. So it, it's got recognizable faces, but it's basically a similar story. But instead, uh, the captain is chasing an orca a killer whale mm -hmm. instead of a shark and it takes place more in like the north atlantic and you've got icebergs and things i have not seen it in many years but every time i see jaws i think about that because richard harris's character reminds me not because they're the same characters uh in their mannerisms or style but just that he's a great actor uh and he plays that similar captain out to uh avenge his demons you know to uh, quell his demons and he's chasing this beast uh the orca itself in this movie as i recall is god awful which as i if i can remember correctly in some of the extras for jaws spielberg said something like at 2.5 seconds the mechanical shark looked good at 2.7 seconds it looked awful mm -hmm. something like that um so i can imagine if he had a better uh uh, editor or or um maybe a better director that that uh whale wouldn't look so bad mm -hmm. but they just kept him on screen a little too long um but i have sense memory of liking the same idea of this movie that was the same type of thing but mm -hmm. i thought it was cool because nobody does a movie about killer whales being these vengeful mm -hmm. uh murdering beasts but they're incredibly intelligent and i was about to say if, if you want to go down the lame-ass route of an animal <laughs> actually wanting revenge yes. I yes. would buy an orca before I'd buy a friggin' great white. Yes, they're one of the most intelligent creatures in the sea, and they are the T-Rex of the ocean. They literally are the top predator, even above, because they eat great white sharks. <laughs> so um, I always kind of like the idea that, and I always wished someone had made uh, a remake, but then, of course, you know, with the whole uh, uh, SeaWorld thing, it kind of kills the image of orcas being these killers. Instead, they're just seen as cute and all that. So, but anyway, so mine is Richard Ayer's uh, uh, film Orca from 1977. Very good one. Very good one. Which I think, if I recall, I'm going to give a shout out. I think Peter covered this in a um, uh, in a written review. I think he covered. I it. think you're right because I know we've I, covered it. So either that or you made it a pick a long time ago because I want to say it's yeah. been brought up at some point. Mentioned I, it before, yeah. But either way, the only memory anyway. I have of that movie is I remember it was on HBO or something. Do you remember, does a character get a hand and or a foot bit off on the boat by the, by the orca? Because the only thing I remember, I remember it freaking me the hell out. They're like <laughs> still, I think they're still alive too, right? Like immediately following it. Yeah, you know, the, the, the only scene I remember, vividly remember is it's a very similar to Quint's scene when yeah. he gets eaten on Jaws. Yes. Except that Richard Harris's character is on like an ice float. Sure. And he... Uh, uh, the whale comes up and, and flips it. It's the same thing. He's sliding into the mouth of the beast kind of thing. But Yeah, I vaguely remember all, that too. Yeah. yeah. 
anyway, so that's my pick. Good pick. Good pick. Mine, uh, I went the easy way out because, and I, it, my, I'm pretty sure I've made this a pick a long, long time ago. I may have, and I don't care because I love it. And that is Duel from 1971, which is Spielberg's ah. first quote unquote feature length movie. Well, actually, no, technically, I... technically, technically, it's his second. His very first feature-length movie he made as a teenager. And I want to say it wasn't Fire in the Sky, but it's a title like that because Fire in the Sky is that Robert Patrick, D.B. Sweeney UFO movie from the early 90s. But it was something like that. Uh, like, you know, a light something, a fire or something. And it's a yeah. UFO movie, and he made it with family and friends, and it's a feature-length. It's one of those really? that you, you would have seen, you've been like, yeah, oh, crap, this kid's got, this isn't just some kid goofing around. This kid's been doing something. Potential, yeah. And... But so Duel was such an effective, I want to say it was either ABC or CBS. I want to say ABC, you know, one of those movie of the week, yeah, TV movies came out. It was so popular that yep. they released it theatrically. Really? Yes. And that led to him getting Sugarland Express, which then led to Jaws, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So on and so forth. It stars Dennis Weaver. Uh, again, another one I bought on Laserdisc because for years and years and years, I'd always wanted to see it because I was a huge Spielberg fan and I'd never seen it. And I had my Laserdisc player and I was in a, oh, what, was it? what was the name of the, oh crap. They had him in all the malls and somebody we talked, I talked to recently used to work in one. FYE? Nope, not those. Oh, damn it. They had like movie memorabilia in them. And I, I feel horrible because I just talked to somebody who told me they worked at one and I can't remember who it was. It was somebody, it was... Uh, I know what you're talking about because I just don't remember the name. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It was like one of those where oh, it was yeah. movies. Yep. Yeah, okay. Suncoast? Yep. Suncoast. Now, I just, if I can remember who the hell the person was that helped, that was that told me they worked there. They worked there, yeah. If nice. you're out there and you hear this, send me an email. <laughs> I don't think it was Jesse. <laughs> I don't think it was somebody. I want to say it was female, but I just don't remember who. That's going to yeah. drive me crazy. Anyway, Suncoast anyway. Movies or whatever. I think that's what it was called. And you bought it at Suncoast. And I bought that. I remember I bought the laser disc, I'm pretty sure, from there. And then I also got like a copy of they had like these really nice from Premiere magazine. I guess put out these screenplays of Raiders and Star Wars yeah. and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But Duel, I remember getting it and just it's it's awesome. I mean, it's it's based on a story, Richard Matheson of I Am Legend and yep. you know, What Dreams May Come yep. and Stir of One of your favorite writers. Yeah, right? Yes. And yeah. he wrote it. It was originally a, a short story in Playboy, which Playboy is actually very renowned for putting out great stories and fiction, which is, of course, the yeah, only reason I ever read that. it as a teenager was for the, <laughs> the great literature. You're like, Playboy has words in it? Yeah, what? What? <laughs> I know it smells like cologne and has movies. <laughs> yes. So it was in that. It was in Playboy. And. I know that originally Matheson based it on loosely on a situation that happened to him. So in a nutshell, it's about a, a man named David Mann, M-A-N-N, -N, subtle, I know, who is literally an <laughs> right. everyman. And he's a guy who is traveling home. He's been, I, I believe the idea is he was either a salesman or he's at some conference, something. He's driving right. around in his little, it's not an Impala. But it's like that. It's this old. It's this little car, and he's. That was reminding me of like the uh, what the typical seventies uh, police detective drove around, yeah. brown and plain. And it was he, very simple. Yeah. And as he's yep. driving, he is cut off at one point by this big, ugly tanker truck. Yep. And he, in his in his passive aggressive way, 
cuts him right back off. Now, the whole time, there's not a lot of dialogue. It's some a lot of it's in his head, and you hear the voice in his head. Yeah. And I guess they felt they had to do that, which is probably, in my opinion, the weakest part of the movie. Because it's just yeah. some of it's very like, oh, what's he doing? Why is he messing with me? What's going to happen next? <laughs> yeah, and, but yeah. The, because there's moments where he's listening to like talk the talk radio of the time, and it's similar to talk radio now. People are you know, like, oh, I hate things, and and they're all mad, and and <laughs> and. But but to me, that under the surface would have been probably a better sound design choice than him narrating in his head. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, to each his own, it's friggin' Spielberg. Who the hell am I to question it? So <laughs> the point is, so he's... Nice to armchair director. Yo, hey, yeah, hey, heck yeah, man. Oh, yeah, Tom Brady, man, way to throw the football. Come on now. So anyway, so he's driving along a little later on. Trucker shows back up. Well, long story short, cat and mouse game ensues. Trucker trying to kill him. You never see who the trucker is. Now, the truck is dr- does have a driver because at one point when David is watching it, you see the guy get out of his truck, get, you know, wa- you see his boots, his, but you never see his face. And so it gives the sense that the truck, the truck is possessed, that there's, there's something going on there. Yeah. Uh, I always felt like the truck was the villain. The yeah, truck absolutely. Itself, not the it's guy. about the truck. The guy is almost, I almost imagine if you were to see the guy would be this automaton. That it would be creepy, yes. but you'd see his face and he wouldn't actually be alive. He's like a mannequin head. Like the truck is the truck possessed him or took him over or exactly. something. Exactly. Yeah, like yeah. He's a corpse and he just needs the hands on the wheel and the foot on the pedal. That's uh, yeah. it. So anyway, so that's how the movie is. It's very short. It's like 80 something minutes long, I think. It's a yeah. very tight, suspenseful movie. Spielberg, I remember seeing an interview where he talked about that is his one movie that he will go back to now to watch and see how he put scenes together to create suspense because really? there's so little talking and so yeah, much yeah. of it is vision. It's, it's not a silent movie, but it's close. And, and it really has an impact as a result, but here's why I picked it. Not just because it's awesome. I love it. It's Spielberg, blah, 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 yep. Richard Matheson. It's because yep. of a key element of how it ties into jaws because first off jaws, cat mouse, dual cat mouse, right? Yep. Yep. The very end of jaws, major spoiler alert, the friggin' fish dies he explodes, right? Yeah. Yep. You smile, you son of a blah! Shoots it, yep. explodes, which, by the way, Mythbusters proved was wrong, but I'm going to pretend that didn't happen because I still love the fact <laughs> that he blows up. doesn't matter. And it's seeking to the bottom, right? And you hear that that almost like kind of happy, happy John Williams music as he's yep. going down. If you listen really closely, I think it's the last moment you see its remains floating. You hear the most subtle thing. It's like a kind of sound effect. At the end of Duel, major spoiler for Duel. If you haven't, fast forward 30 seconds. I'm about to spoil the hell out of the end. Truck goes flying over the edge of a cliff, right? David Mann does a game of like a, a bull, you know, Toro. Go, go, go. Yeah, uh, Toro bull, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the played game of chicken and the, the truck goes over the edge. As it was going over the edge, it's making these noises. And Spielberg says in the behind the scenes on that, that it was meant to sound like a dragon being slayed or some kind of oh, beast. So it's like yeah. all the twisting metal almost has a roaring quality. Yeah, it's like a growl. He had them add a, just a hint of that into the sound design for Jaws. And if you listen, you hear it. I didn't know that for years. I heard that him say really? that. I heard him say that. I think it was in the behind some behind the scenes thing related to Duel. And then I watched Jaws and I was like, oh my God. And now every time I see Jaws, it's there. It's awesome. The fa- just go yeah. back and just watch that last 30 seconds or so. Yeah, when Jaws I remember is- the sound. Yeah, and it's that... And yeah. you go back and then watch Duel, same damn thing. Isn't that cool? I thought that was a cool little Easter egg. I like that. Nice, I yeah. I like that stuff. So yes, Duel, 1971, starring Dennis Weaver, directed by the one, the only, Steven Spielberg.
written by the one, the only Richard Matheson. I say, check it out. <laughs> I think it was a well, good episode, man. I think I'd say yes. That, yes. That's probably pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> we could go on for two more hours. <laughs> uh, easily, 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 easily. So Absolutely. I would All say, right. do you want to hit him with some final information here? And then we'll wrap this puppy uh, up yeah just in general check us check us out on forgottenflicks.com you can find all of our connections there including most importantly for our upcoming episodes uh our feedback line so check out the phone number there uh give us this call we're wrapping up the show in just a couple of episodes uh, we'd love to know what you thought of it how uh it's impacted you you know what your favorite moments sure. are uh we're gonna be doing a final final episode uh after spooky flicks fest um so you can check it out there plus we're on facebook twitter and all the other social media places the crazy kids are today and I do not have the feedback number in front of me, but I will say if you go to ForgottenFlix.com, it's in the friggin' sidebar. So come on. Yeah, don't, it's don't big be prominent. Right. You can't miss it. Yep, it's there. Yeah. And I will say, too, since this episode will be going out October 1st, yep. that from here on out, I've told Jason this, that apparently I am what you call a glutton in general, but a glutton specifically for punishment. We have something of some sort going out every day. In the month of October. <laughs> and I'm I'm actually, initially my goal was, well, really just to pepper it with some bonus episodes to have other people on, blah, blah, blah. Peter's going to have his reviews, et cetera, et cetera. But as I dug deeper, I realized I'm not that far off the mark to have something out literally every day. 31 days of Halloween-y goodness. <laughs> I said weenie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ForgottenFlix.com. Yep. And I, it's a goal, and it's, I'm making it happen. So literally wow. check back every day, or if you're subscribed, you will see something every day going out. So if you love Halloween, you love this time of year, we've got multiple, and I mean multiple, bonus episodes, shorter than this one, because you know, this one's already into the fifth hour. And uh, the, the bonus episodes, you know, they range from 15 to 30 minutes. And there's going to be, like I said, Peter's reviews and some other cool little nuggets and Easter eggs. So be sure to check it out. It's all there for you and your Halloween pleasure. You know, I'll be downloading it all. So oh, I know you will. Rubbing it all <laughs> over your body is what you'll be doing. <laughs> Jason, before we wrap this puppy up, do you have any final, final, final words? I expect a case of apricot brandy at my house by noon tomorrow. It'll be there by 1159. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>